Welcome back to the What's Your One More podcast. I'm joined with my standing co-host, Alex Stewart from The Market Distillery. Thanks for joining us today. Always love being here. Yeah, love, love having you here, my friend. So we're kicking off the year. This is our fourth episode of the year, and we're going to talk a little bit about uh, inflation, which by this time we should all be experts, right? It's mm-hmm. a continuing theme of, mm-hmm. of what's on the media and what's in coverage out there. But we're specifically going to talk about an index that came out on the 12th, the mm-hmm. CPI known as the Consumer Price Index. And, and, and why are we talking about this, Alex? Why is this of relevance? Yeah, it affects every single household in America, first of all. Uh, when you talk about your personal finances, which is one of the most important things to every household in general, this is going to impact, Im- yeah. impact that. If, if inflation is high, that that literally is taxing every single household, whether they really know it or not. Right. And, uh, on the real estate side, which is a little more where we focus, this this directly relates to mortgage interest rates, which directly relate to how productive our real estate economy is. Yeah. No, I couldn't have said it better. And, you know, this is the measurement of what impacts the consumer, right? Sure. It's not the Federal Reserve's favorite form of inflation. Uh, normally, they really don't pay too much attention to this one. It's more of the PCE index. But right. in these growing times of inflation, all indexes are reviewed. And this is kind of the second to the best right now. And it carries a lot of weight. Right. Um, and, and it comes out monthly. And we're describing last month's, or excuse me, last month's reading, which is coming in uh, January 12th. Yep. And uh, it did come down a little bit. And that's the good news, right? So we're seeing lower levels of inflation from the previous readings. And the way this index is created is is a 12-month moving average, well, Mm -hmm. lagging average. So it's the previous 12. And as uh, as our friend Barry Habib said, you know, you're you're driving by looking at the rearview mirror and you're looking at always what's in the past and never what's coming in the future with you're looking at indexes like this. And that is one of the bigger problems that the Federal Reserve is facing is that they're looking at uh, lagging data, right? They're driving that car from the rearview mirror and that makes it difficult. But to your point, this directly impacts mortgage interest rates right. um, because as inflation comes down, so do mortgage interest rates. And as inflation has risen, as we've seen, mm-hmm. so do rates. Mm-hmm. So let's get into it a little bit here. We got a reading on, it's, it comes in two forms. It comes in the, the overall reading and then the core reading. Mm-hmm. And uh, the core reading came in as expected. So there was no big shockwaves there. It came in exactly what it was supposed to be at, at 8.3. Mm-hmm. And then uh, we had the overall reading actually lower at a negative 0.1. Now, for our audience out there, what does that mean? Yeah, so they they calculate one number for each of those things, right? Mm-hmm. The total number, we'll just start there, is uh, as you take a bunch of items, you put them in a, in a shopping cart, and you see, you calculate this total price, if you will. And then that is used to compare over time to say, how did prices do? Because if right. that one number goes up, that means prices went up. If that one number went down, prices went down. Uh, so when we say, you know, in December prices, the CPI was down 0.1, that means compared to the previous month, it went down 0.1. Right. Uh, and many a times you're looking at a year-over-year comparison, right? So you're also looking at how was it compared to December the last time. Um, and so here we saw total was down 0.1. Uh, that, again, everybody, I think, cheers, right? We all, right. I think well, we've gotten to a point where, uh, you know, the Fed and, and pundits and a lot of, uh, economists, they say we need to have inflation. Inflation is healthy for a, for a good economy, and I, I don't know that that I can agree with that, or that many consumers would agree with that. I think deflation is a good thing. If you think about TVs, right? Electronics. A lot of those get cheaper over time, and when prices come down, that means you can sell more of them, and right. an economy can actually grow even though prices are coming down. 
Um, I don't know. think there's no such thing as a healthy inflation. Right, right. right. Well, <laughs> except for the Fed would say, hey, you know, they have a target of they want to see inflation at an annual rate of 2%, right? Right. So that's their goal. They want inflation every single year. And prior to this reading, we were 7.1. Correct. And, and now so we're down reading, to six and a half. Six and a half. Right. So we are coming down and right. we're making, and, and just to kind of, from an audience perspective, that negative 0.1 reading dropped it six-tenths of a point from 7.1 overall because the, the next 11 readings help kind of derive that six-and-a-half number. Right. And so that's a that's a big win for us, which kind of going to point out here, it's a good sign. Rates are probably going to continue to follow that trend as well. And we saw the impact that already on mortgage interest rates on Thursday and Friday. Today's a holiday on Martin Luther King Day. But then on Tuesday, we should see a little bit more reciprocation from the markets. And, you know, this is a good trend for mortgage interest rates. Yeah, I would say, though, that the focus is probably more on the core mm-hmm. CPI. Um, the reason why is when you look at what changed in the last total reading, the reality is what went down in price, energy, so we're talking about oil, gasoline. You'll see this uh, relative to other months, um, but also cars. Yep. Those are the only categories that went down. All these other prices for things like food and uh, medical care, shelter, medicine, all those things, those went up. And so there's a little bit of a mixed bag there because the total number went down. But when I dig into this and when you start to think about that, the reality is, okay, well, okay, Total was down, but what we really care about is core because that's what the Fed thinks they can control Mm -hmm. because energy and food, which is what you strip out to get the core, is deemed volatile. Again, we, we've talked about this before. Sure. If if there's a natural disaster that can cause energy prices and food prices to change, regardless of what the Fed's doing. Right. But when we look at all these other facets that are in the calculation, the Fed's trying to control core. Uh, that came in at 0.3, which was a 0.3 increase. That's what was expected. And compared to the November CPI, which was better than the December CPI compared to expectations, I think the reaction in the the interest rates was rather timid. I mean, we right. saw in November the best day, on, on I think, on recorded history, right, right? For, for interest rates where they improved, they, they came down because inflation had come down more than expected. So let's kind of explain why that happens real quickly. You know, if you're a listener to this and you heard us just throw a lot of different things out there, let me, let me break it down as simple as it can get. Fear in the markets control the market's decision. The markets like certainty. They don't like uncertainty. So if the core reading came in as expected, that creates a level of certainty. And that certainty is that we know what the market's going to do because that cr- we've already forecasted that we being basically people in the market. Mm-hmm. Uncertainty would be if it would have came above 0.3, that right. would be a level of uncertainty that something's not working. Now, because it came in at 0.3, it's showing that it didn't go up, but it also didn't come down. And there's a big argument on that shelter cost, which makes up 38% of the CPI. Right. That shelter cost was way up. And there's a lot of arguments and a lot of people that believe it was it was falsely inflated, not because someone was lying. That's not what I'm saying. It just came in much higher than it should have and that it's going to taper off significantly in the upcoming months. And as that comes down, so what? So should that core. Right. And that's what a lot of people are saying. So what's happened is now we have a level of certainty in markets because as long as it didn't go up, the markets, being the equities, believe that the Federal Reserve is not going to increase rates higher than the current pattern. They know that they may increase them, maybe another mm-hmm. 50 basis point hike, maybe a quarter, but they know that they're not going to go three quarters or a point. The, the fear of that is no longer on the table right. when we have these readings coming in like that. So you're starting to see Wall Street kind of uh, make a turn to the good because of that. They're receiving the benefits of that certainty. Right. Um, 
what will be interesting is when the next reading comes out and when PCE comes out, is it going to come out as expected or is it going to be lower? Is it going to be higher? But that certainty is allowing for the markets to kind of have a little breathing room right now. And as you're pointing out, it's already maybe encumbered some of the the, um, the windfall from that, if you may. And yeah. we're kind of seeing it flatline a little bit this month. Right. Yeah. And, and like you said, it's a moving average, right? So it's right. a combination in a lot of cases of the last 12 months of readings. And so, uh, you know, the Fed says they want to be data-driven. They want to make these decisions off data. But the street, the people that are doing this right now would say, hey, look, things are changing now, but you're looking backwards mm-hmm. at 12 months ago. And the world was a very different place 12 months ago, right? Absolutely. And this this matters most in times of volatility, right? If things were consistent and, and you know, things were relatively stable— then this whole looking back 12 months wouldn't matter a lot. But what we're seeing is a lot of these increases that happened at the beginning of 2022 mm-hmm. being incorporated into these numbers. And so, like you said on the shelter, right, rents have come down uh, nationally quite a bit. You know, they were peaked, uh, rising over 16% year over year. And now they're back down to more like 8% year right. over year. And that's going to continue to probably improve as we get away from those um, sort of crazy, hectic 2021, 20, early 22 numbers. Uh, and so that should help. And one of the things that we've done at the Market Distillery is look at the CPI and try to forecast what we think is going to happen. And part of that is just understanding how the calculation works. And when you look at this, what's interesting to me is June is a very pivotal month, pivotal month in 2023. June is where the calculation starts to potentially go back up. And that is because we now are starting to replace really small numbers. Right. Uh, so it's easier to replace those with bigger numbers. Yeah, and the error, the, the margin there is much smaller, right? right? There's You're not going from like a, you don't have like a variance of a half a point in there. You got a variance of like a tenth of a point. Right. So it's going to be much more difficult to see these windfalls like we've been getting over 2022 here in the last really two quarters. Right. Moving into 23. Right. And so if we if we think about, okay, let's, again, let's tie this to the practical. How, right. how does this matter to the daily lives? Well, primarily in the real estate, world, ultimately we're trying to predict rates, mm-hmm. right? That's that's what we're, we're looking at. And so that presents us with a window of opportunity because each time the CPI comes down, we expect mortgage rates to also come down. That's correct. Right? And so at a minimum, it seems like first half of the year through June, if nothing else, just based on the way it's calculated, we should see that come down yeah. and that results in a chance for people to get a deal where rates right. are lower than they have been in a long time. And Alex, if I'm hearing you correctly, maybe post-June could be a threat of it maybe staggering a little bit back up. But here uh, here comes the uh, the argument that I think I'm, I'm going to make here, right? Yep. Is that I think that uh, I recently looked up the national debt had crossed 315 trillion dollars with a T. Yep. And uh, as we're doing this show, it's probably greater than that. And a lot of a lot of people, including, you know, people that are in our inner circle, sometimes they they forget or they just don't know that as the Federal Reserve is raising interest rates, they're actually raising the debt servicing coverage on that 31.5 plus trillion dollars of national debt. And what we mean by that is there's actually a, a servicing payment that has to be made on that debt that we owe. Right. And as we continue to raise these short-term interest rates, that debt payment goes up kind of like your credit cards, right? And so there comes this theology of, well, okay, it, whether the economy and inflation gets under control to the 2% they want, they may be, being the Federal Reserve, may be handcuffed or backed into a, a corner to where they have to go, ah, 
all right, we're going to have to punt. And by punt, I mean, probably ease rates back down and go into quantitative easing because right. we've kind of positioned ourselves here where we, we shot off the cannons as much as we could to lower inflation. We got it down. We didn't get it to where we wanted it, but we got it down. But we're going to have to back up and punt now because we're actually we're actually hemorrhaging the debt service on this money that we have out there in the national debt. That's that, that's a theology come June that a lot of people are forecasting and, and it could happen and time out actually right with the numbers you're just speaking of. Right. Well, and and okay, so if you go back to the 70s when Volcker was doing his crazy stuff, a lot of the debt that the nation had was in longer term debt, meaning mm-hmm. they were 10-year loans or 20-year loans, right? Uh, the bonds were longer. So if the rates went up in, in one or three or five years, it didn't matter as much because ultimately they didn't have to take on, you know, new debt or, or you know, refinance right. into a higher rate because they had a longer timeline. Now, the government has shortened that. And a lot of this is in short term, less than five years. Right. And so that means, again, if rates are up, it's going to have a faster impact on there things. Yep. So they can't let the rates stay as high. Yeah. The, the pain's actually accelerated. Correct. Which is much you different. You got to deal with it. Yeah. Yo, thank you so much for choosing us today. We're definitely not done with our podcast, but we are going to take a really short sponsor break and then we'll get right back to the show. I've been in the lending business for 20 years. I've seen many different lenders. During those 20 years, I recognized there's a difference between being an originator and an advisor. And the team at Bank of England is full of advisors. They take their time to understand your needs. They take the time to structure a mortgage for you and your family. And I cannot recommend them enough. If you're in the market to purchase a home, maybe it's a second home, maybe it's an investment property, or you're looking to refinance your current property that you live in, take a minute to work with the advisors at Bank of England Mortgage. They're a nationwide lender, and you can find your local branch at boemortgage.com. www.boemortgage.com. Because it's more than loans, it's people. Thanks so much for letting us give a shout out to our sponsor. All right, now back to the podcast. So speaking of debt, speaking of credit card debt, this is something I want to jump into, and this is part of it, that that same week we got the CPI report, we got the consumer debt uh, report that came out as well. And I want to focus my concentration on something that's really standing out. You and I have been talking about it behind the scene here a little bit, but I think it's now it's worth mentioning to our audience that Consumer credit card debt right now is at $925 billion, um, and, and the highest for on record in the United States was $927 billion, which as we record this, I'm quite positive we're way over that because the numbers we're getting are from November before the Christmas season, before the spending season, and we know what happens because we've seen the retail numbers that have come in. I guarantee you we're over that 927 So I'll go on record saying we've surpassed an all-time high. And inside of that, there's a couple of things that are happening in that report. 47% of Americans are carrying a balance on their credit card debt. That's up from 39% the month before. The most astonishing thing in the report, besides that number I gave you to begin with, that $925 billion, is that actually the interest rate, the average interest rates on credit cards, which, by the way, are directly impacted by the Federal Reserve as they raise those short-term debts, the very next hour, credit card debts raise their credit card interest rates are raised. It's averaging the average rate in America's 19.6 on a credit card. 19.6. Like that blows my mind because that's average. That means you've got higher ones where it's allowed. You know, the user the usury ceiling law is going to cap some states at 19.99, but there's some that allow you to get in those 20s. And what's blowing my mind on that is that 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 is happening. And as consumers continue to spend more, they're also not paying down the credit card debt and they're also not paying it off. So for example, Alex, if you have a credit card mm-hmm. and you 
put money on that credit card, excuse me, you buy an item with that credit card, you pay it off. What's the rate on that? You pay it off before the bill comes or when the bills come, what's the rate on that? Zero. Zero percent. You effectively have a zero percent loan, right? right? And oftentimes that cycle may take four, five, six weeks, depending when you buy it before the credit card uh, bill even comes in, before the note comes due, if you may. Right. Well, what's happened is during COVID, a lot of this became an addictive spending because we didn't have anywhere to go. There was a lot of online shopping that took place. There was a lot of habits that were created during that time. Mm-hmm. Also supplemented, and people don't like it when I say this, but it was absolutely supplemented by the government putting a check in your mailbox. Sure. And a lot of people received benefits that were able to pay down their debt. And we even had this conversation that a lot of people got their finances in line in 2020. Sure. They were able to pay down debt, pay down credit cards. Matter of fact, the actual savings rate in America was at the highest rate it had been during COVID. Yep. We're actually at the lowest post pre-COVID levels right now. Was right. it 2.4%? 2. This, is, this is not good. Not good. We, we are being set up right now with high interest rates, highest debt, lowest savings rate. Because here's what's going to happen. Until, until this, uh, the consumer debt companies, being credit card companies, wake up and decide to cut off the spending limits of these credit card debts, we're building a massive problem that's snowballing right in front of us. And, and Alex, what's the purest definition of inflation right now? Yeah, so I think if you were to think of the modern one, yep. it is prices going up. Yep. In my opinion, and the traditional definition of inflation is the increase in the money supply. That's the one I was more dollars are are circulating in the economy. Yeah. So we put more we put more dollars in the economy every time. And I love we were talking about this pre show. Every time you spend something on a credit card. Right. And it's not paid off on that that free interest period, that zero percent period when you pay it off. If you carry a bill on that, you have created more dollars. Right. In the financial system, dollars owed at this point. Right. That's actually inflating the inflation every time you spend money on that and you don't pay it off. Yep. And so that is actually what's happening right now. And again, there's some things inside those bad habits that do concern me a little bit is that if the consumer continues just to keep running this bill up, mm-hmm. it's almost like our national debt. That's why mm-hmm. I led with that. When do you pay this off? How do you pay off this debt? Because if your savings rate's at 2.4, you really only got three options to pay this debt off. Right. First one is going to be a refinance if you're a homeowner. If you're a homeowner, you're probably going to have to refinance. And for anyone that has those rates in the two and a half or the two seven fives, that's great. But you can't even start to think about um, uh, paying 20% on a credit card and, and turning your nose up at a 5.5 interest rate. Well, it's worth also um, mentioning you need to run the numbers. I think a lot of people are going to assume it's cheaper to keep that mortgage at 3% and then just deal with the credit card separately. Ooh, yeah, because you, you got to run those numbers. Yeah, you to see realize. 3%, you see 5.5, you're like, right. there's no way I'm going to do that. Right. But the reality is, to your point, run those numbers. Every time you run those numbers, you're going to be able to say 5.5 is a much cheaper monthly payment with a term savings over those credit cards. Because right. again, as the credit card, just like national debt, once it gets to a certain level, if you don't have a check to pay that off, you're not going to pay that off right. because this is a term that is made for you not to pay it off. It is an open end line of credit. It is not a closed end line. So what I mean by that is if you're making minimum payments, you're not even covering the debt from the previous month. And it's a compounding daily occurring interest rate at 19.6. So the reality is the APY is actually greater than 19.6. And that becomes a slippery slope, but it's very hard to pay off, extremely hard to pay off. And in some cases, it's over 30 years at a minimum payment. You know, it's just not, and that's assuming you don't use it again. So that is is a challenge, which does kind of concern me a little bit because I do see some things in the forecast that that could be bothersome, you know, and, and one of those being if you can't refinance, you're not a homeowner. 
what's the other solution? You just default on the debt, sure. right? Because we both know credit cards, there's no securitization. There's nothing that says, I'm going to take back what you bought on that credit card. Right. It doesn't work like that. And so a lot of consumers know that. A lot Your of credit people score know. is all that's securitized. That is all that's securitized, yep. right? And uh, again, they're probably going to move the goalpost on that based on some of the things we're seeing as well. So the reality is, you know, if the consumers don't stop spending money on this and there's no, and the only way to stop it is seriously, just cut the lines off. We saw this happen in 07 and 08 mm-hmm. when the home equity lines were cut off. Well, you couldn't spend on them anymore. And so the same thing with credit cards. At some point, the consumer credit divisions are going to have to wake up and say, no more spending. Well, look at student loans. Correct. And there's precedent is the hard part of giving out loans or giving out debt and then simply putting it on pause and saying, well, we're just going to leave that over here for a while and figure out what we're going to do with it later because uh, it becomes a very very unpopular political move to force people to actually have to deal with that, right? Right. And I think what we're seeing here is this is an example of um, habits, right, right, that were created. This is an example of people, I mean, you go to restaurants. We talked about this a a little while ago. You go to restaurants. Restaurants should actually not be as busy as they are with inflation at the level that it's at and with some of the economic tolls that we're seeing happen. But yet you go there, they're still full. And it adds to exactly what we're talking about is that the plastic's being put down on the table. It's being used. And sometimes with consumers, there's no relevance in paying with a credit card than when paying with cash. You know, you mentioned right. it earlier that when you pay cash, you see that money leave your wallet or your pocket. The credit card, you just swipe and go and you don't see it till sometimes six weeks till it shows up in the bill and you're like, I spent how much? What did I do again? And it's a lot different. It is a lot different. So as this number grows, it will be interesting to see if we get to the $1 trillion mark on the credit card consumer spending limits because that's, that's a big deal. Well, and, and the whole system's based on debt. The mm-hmm. whole system is based on these numbers going up, right? So if we think realistically, it's hard for me to imagine a situation where we actually do address these in a way that isn't just sort of, let's keep inflating it away or um, maybe even just start a new system and just forget the old one. Something right. like that, you know, makes my mind go to, to Fight Club when they're blowing up the <laughs> credit card buildings and resetting the debt to zero. Um, but, I, you know, if we talk about sort of outcomes here and, and trying to think forward, uh, you know, the Fed is trying to do what's called a soft landing, which is, hey, we're going to bring down inflation without bringing down the economy and, and causing a serious sort of issue or crash. Uh, the odds of that are very low. I, I feel like that's like flying and landing a plane with no landing gear and having it just smoothly land on the right on the on the tarmac, right, without any sort of um, issues. Uh, we get one issue is inflation is, is doesn't go away, right? Right, and it's tough. And again, you see, we mentioned this before, politicians are are putting new bills in place, and every bill they put in place is more spending, right? Um, if rates come back down on mortgages, uh, more spending happens, more dollars gets created in that that regard. So there's a lot of inflationary pressures there. Jobs, we're seeing that there's this big gap between jobs that need to be filled and the people willing to fill those jobs. And so that's causing wage pressure. Um, and on the other side of the coin, we have sort of this challenge of, will there be a sort of deflationary event? And um, that is where we see a slowdown that's strong enough that it causes people to stop spending money. It causes loans to stop being done because now all of a sudden people don't want to buy houses so they don't need mortgages or they stop spending money on their credit cards because they've been turned off or they just don't have the money to pay, to pay for it. And so uh, 
in general, you can make an argument for both sides of that equation. Mm-hmm. That's the hard part. I've said this many times. This this economy is so challenging right now because you can support either side of the equation in a lot of cases with lots of facts and lots of statistics. Um, the one thing I do know, though, is when you break down these statistics by state and we start to look at these things a little more granular, you start to see some real outperformers. And that's one of those things that, for us, at least given our location here in Florida, is a shining star. Because we do see a lot of positivity here in Florida of strong unemployment where people are working and and the jobs are being filled at a strong rate, strong personal income growth, right? I just looked at the real personal income by state uh, going from 20 to 21, Texas, I mean, Florida is 4.7% increase. So that means beyond inflation, our income grew 4.7%. That's huge, right? So we're seeing a lot of strength there. So um, it's going to be one of those things where I think, again, there's a trend of take the national number, break it down to your local Mm -hmm. level, because suddenly our economy is going to be very much localized in a lot of cases and you're going to you're going to experience a difference because of that. Yeah, and you know and that's a great point and I want to add to this whole consumer spending situation here because I think this is important. This is where the alert should be going off in everyone's head. If you're a mortgage lender, if you're a real estate professional, this alert should be going off in your head. People are going to need help. Yep. And the best way to help them is going to be there's going to be a refinance rise that happens out of this. I'm not going to call it a boom because there's going to be some people that are just naturally going to say, I want to get a home equity line. Home equity lines are far and few between that are even available out there. But if you went to get them, just remember, they're going to be higher than the current interest rate on the Fed funds rate. And they're also going to be higher than what you would get on a 30-year fixed rate mortgage. So the blended rate doesn't even make sense at that point, depending on how much debt you're consolidating. Mm -hmm. But here's one thing we've learned. Unlike 0807, the equity position on these homes haven't come down. And if they have, they've come down ever slightly, not significantly. And so there's room inside of these properties to tap the equity to pay for some of this debt, if not all the debt. And when you take a look at interest rates getting back into the fives, which you and I both believe will happen in the next 30 days or sooner, Mm -hmm. and then it'll continue to come down in between now and June, as we've indicated earlier, it's going to be a great opportunity for people to refinance. And if I'm a lender, I'm reaching out to my database, I'm checking, going through annual calls, following up. Yep touching my customers via phone call and saying, hey, listen, you know, how's everything going? And let's talk about a couple of things. Let's go through your mortgage review and do the following stuff. But you're going to find that there is debt out there and everybody's encumbering at some level. And some people will take advantage. And I think more than we're giving credit for, we're going to take advantage and refinances on this. Yeah. And I think it's an excellent opportunity for people to also take a look at leveraging the cash that they have in equity. Because remember, when you have it in equity, if you can't get to it, you can't use it. You know, and there's a lot of people that that desperately want to use that money at some level. And if you can eliminate six, seven, eight hundred dollars a month in debt, <clears throat> that is well worth leveraging that equity on there. Well, and don't forget about the people that took out HELOCs when rates were higher. They took out HELOCs before the Fed started raising them significantly. And now I'm hearing stories of again people at ten percent on those HELOCs. That's correct. They started out much lower. It was the affordable option, but now it's like, oh my gosh, this thing is turned into a monster. And it's kind of like what we were preaching of, hey, yeah. be careful with that, because that that may start off one way and end a totally different way. So you're right, though. I think that's that uh, another shining star, almost a lifeline that might actually get, get a lot of households through any sort of challenges is that using their equity before that goes away, right? Mm-hmm. And the way that would go away is appraisals are not able to come in or they're unable to, maybe there's restrictions put on cash out refinances. We see the guidelines on those change from year to year, depending on what's going on. Yeah. It's just an excellent opportunity right now. And, you know, when I see stuff like this, it jumps off. The scary thing about that report, 
and I almost forgot, is the stuff that 927 billion that we think is going to be higher. What's not reported in that is the following things. You ever go online and go shopping, and it's mm. this buy here, mm-hmm. pay now. Like, I think it's like a firm. Karma firm. Yep. They're all like, "Hey, listen, buy this product for twenty five dollars a month. Buy this product for one hundred twenty, you know, for a hundred dollars a month, or something, depending on the size of it." That 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 stuff that what we call buy here pay or buy now pay later, it's not even showing up in these numbers because we have no way to account for it. They don't report on your credit, so therefore there's no trackability to it. We don't even know how much debt's out there in that in in that market. But I do know this: I do know that when that pay later comes due, how's the general public going to pay for that, Alex? They're going to put it on a what? Well, they're going to put it on a credit card. They're going to put it on a credit Mm -hmm. card, right? We already know that based on the spending habits. They're going to put that right back on the credit card. And, you know, this is part of that inflation, that consumer finance that we were just talking about. They're, They're creating the new spend and we're creating habits. And some people are just pushing those habits are pushing this buck down the road and it's going to show up at some point. Yep. And you know, who knows when that stuff comes to who knows how much stuff was spent at Christmas on the buy now, pay later type option. Because sure. again, there's no way to track that until we get those numbers. But keep that in mind, that's not even included in this $925 billion report that came out. And it'll be really interesting to see how that shows up between now and June as well. Yep. Yep. And I think this is the opportunity we have before potentially um, consequences get a lot greater of, okay, let's actually get our personal finances in Correct. line as well as maybe, okay, let's, let's change our behaviors going forward so we don't get ourselves in trouble. I mean, I think every, everybody has a chance to get, get things settled now mm-hmm. uh, before it sort of crosses the line of you can't get it settled anymore and then there are greater consequences. Right. So. You know, as we move into the part of the new year here, if you're not a person that's kind of uh, involved in some of the credit card stuff that we're talking about here, great job. If you're a new home buyer, your, your time's coming. If you're looking to buy a home, it is going to be an excellent opportunity this next six months. The mm-hmm. rates are going to be where a lot of people are asking for. And if you combine that with some of the previous strategies we've talked about, you're going to be in the fours. And that's going to be a real shining star uh, for someone that takes advantage of that. Yep. All right. Well, Alex, thanks for being on the show. Appreciate your time as always here. And uh, if you want to hear more about the Market Distillery, Alex, tell them how they can find that out. Absolutely. Yeah. You can go to our website at themarketdistillery.com. Uh, we also have an Instagram that we're very active on at the Market Distillery. Uh, and we're excited to announce that, you know, in the next uh, probably two weeks, we're going to be launching a premium membership for real estate professionals that are interested in becoming market insiders. And the whole idea there is equipping them with the data that they need locally so that they can handle their customers' questions, so that they can understand what's going on, and that ultimately they can change from being a reactive, hey, let the market happen to me, to now all of a sudden I'm planning my business so that I can take advantage of market opportunities, uh, control my own sort of business, and proactively answer my clients' questions so they can take action confidently. Yeah, I love that. And you know, if you want to see Alex talk live in person, he's got a couple events coming up, one in February. I believe it's the second week in February mm-hmm. uh, at the University of North Florida. He's doing a speaking engagement for SMC. Uh, if you'd love to come hear him, come check that out live in person. It's one heck of a presentation when he does it. If you like what we're saying and you're finding this stuff valuable, please share this with a friend. Just mm-hmm. click on the podcast, forward it a text message to him. Also, leave us a five-star review. We'd love to have your comments on the bottom down there on whatever platform, whether it's Apple or Spotify. We'd love to hear from you. Alex, thanks again for your time. I appreciate it, buddy. My pleasure. All right, have, have a great, great day. One. I got one more shot, I'm going to make it. One more chance, I'm going to take it. I meant it when I said it, now it's time for me to do it. I got one life to live, so I put all into it, yeah.